The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I will be your host for today's episode. And this is episode number 135. Now, we don't hear back from a lot of you. We know that there are a lot of you that listen to the podcast, but we've had a couple people reach out to us, which we love because then we know that we're actually reaching people and maybe making a difference. So today's interview is a young man from Wyoming who reached out to us. His name is Austin. And the reason I wanted to interview him is because I think he has a good story He's not a professional actor. He's not a professional athlete. He hasn't written a book. He's a regular guy, but he has a great story. And I wanted to share it with you because I have an idea that like I am, most of you are just regular people. And sometimes it's nice to just hear the story from a regular person who has his own had his own challenge with drugs. So let's talk to Austin. Austin, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate you being willing to share your story with our listeners. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, uh, every chance I get to, uh, share my experience, strength and hope, I do. I love it. So the way I usually like to start out, and I'll have you start out that way, is how did you get started on drugs? How did that happen for you? Well, um, I grew up in an uh, addicted family. Both my parents are addicts. And uh, so I kind of had that that piece already set. And uh, uh, yeah, so I had, uh, you know, I grew up with addicted parents and I've seen a lot of abuse and, you know, witnessed a lot of things that a child probably shouldn't. And so it was it was crazy, too, because I told myself that I never, ever wanted to do drugs because I never wanted to turn out like that. And then I ended up doing it, you know. Um, I was about 12 when I started smoking cigarettes. And then... Uh, about 13, 14, I, uh, 13, I started, uh, using alcohol and 14 was a really productive year for my addiction. I, uh, started smoking marijuana and then got into acid, mushrooms, ecstasy. By the time I was like 15, I was like addicted to ecstasy and doing it, uh, a couple times a week at least. Wow, you went from zero to 60 pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. And then so from then, I, uh, after, uh, when I was 15, I got into a automobile accident. Um, I had a family member that was texting and driving as we were going down the interstate and started to go off the road and overcorrected and rolled, and I wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and I went through the windshield. And I uh, shattered my pelvis in six spots, fractured two vertebrae. Uh, My spleen was ruptured. Yeah, my spleen was ruptured. My liver was lacerated. 
broke my left collarbone, my hand, and then uh, I got, I had lacerations all up and down my chest and my back, so they had to treat me like a burn victim. And so that was like the first time that I got like introduced to opiates. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really care for them because they made me itchy. And when you have a bunch of open wounds, you don't really yeah. want to be itching, you know. No. So I, uh, after I got out of the hospital, I just traded all all my um, pain pills for, for marijuana. And I just self-medicated with marijuana. And um, so then, let's see, 16... Yeah, all I really did was drink and smoke marijuana. Um, 17, I got into another car accident and just re-injured my back. And that's whenever uh, I had a friend, because I told him I didn't like the way the pain pills made me itchy or made me feel. And I told him they made me sick. And so then they told me, why don't you try snorting one? And ever since then, I did. And I... uh, and my daughter let my dog out of the kennel. And uh, <laughs> that's whenever my opiate addiction took off. Um, I uh, started uh, using uh, using opiates every day. Um, let's see. I graduated high school when I was 17, and that's whenever I tried after I tried uh after I graduated that's whenever I tried uh methamphetamine and so I uh used it for a little bit I didn't like it as much as the opiates but then uh so my opiate use got real bad and pain pills got so expensive that I switched to heroin and let's see by when I was 21 I ended up in the hospital with a bacteria infection and because I started shooting up by this time, and uh, I had bacteria in my blood and got a bacteria infection, and that's also whenever I found out that I had Hep C. Wow. And so, yeah, I went into the hospital. I had like 105 degree fever, and uh, was just shaking uncontrollably, and it was bad. And so then after that, you know, I realized that I needed to do something different that I was going to end up dying if I didn't. And so at this time too, I was with a girl and things weren't working out too well. And so I went to treatment and I wasn't going to treatment just for myself. I was uh, trying to do it to fix our toxic relationship, which that didn't work. And I made it five days out of treatment before relapsing on heroin. And so then what kind of treatment was it? Was it just a 12-step program? Yeah, it was a 30-day inpatient 12-step. I got it. Program, yeah. And, um, I mean, it was an amazing program. I ended up going back there once again. Um, I've been through three different treatments, and uh, that was the last one I went to. I went back there, treatment center in Montana. And it was great, but... um. Yeah, so... Um, Austin, after the third time you did that particular program, is that when you got clean and sober? Like, you went through the whole program and... 
Yeah, well, so where I kind of left off is, so I, my addiction got so bad. So like I got with another girl after I got out of treatment the first time and uh, we started, we started using together and um, she got pregnant and we continued to use throughout the pregnancy. Um, We went into the doctor and told him that we were addicts and just, laid it all out on the table and he uh he told her that if she's withdrawing then the baby was withdrawing and in my irrational delusional mind i use that as an excuse to continue to provide her with drugs you know okay. i didn't want i didn't want my child withdrawing so and uh that's uh that continued to go on until she went into uh, labor premature due to withdrawing, actually. And uh, she got life lighted up to Montana, up to Billings. And so why she was in the hospital, she came in and she tested positive for drugs. And so after seven days after my daughter was born and she was two months premature, um and then did she have to go through withdraw the baby no so that's the miracle um some they even tested her cord blood and everything and somehow she tested completely clean wow which which i don't understand they didn't understand it either she didn't have to go through any sort of uh withdrawals or any sort of like medication you know have to take any medication for it or anything she was just premature so they treated her in the NICU as a premature child. That is amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed that, that she didn't have any kind of withdrawal. There, there's a miracle for you. You're exactly right. Yeah. And that's, I, one of her middle names is Amira, which is short for miracle because oh. I, I don't, I don't know how, you know, that had to have been like a higher power thing watching over or something. But so after this, so the mother of my child also was on the run. She is on the run from the law. She had a felony warrant out. And Montana, the nurses in Montana found out about it, and they called her in. And she got arrested while she was supposed to be up at the hospital taking care of my daughter. And so I was coming back and forth between Gillette, Wyoming. That's where I'm from and uh billings montana so i could work and then go up and see my you know see my daughter and stuff and uh so after she got arrested like two or three days after that they put my daughter uh she got out of the hospital and they placed her in the child protective services and so you would have thought that would have gave me the motivation to get clean and it didn't. I uh, fought with the courts up there. If it was up to Montana, they would have never given me the chance to have my child back. But since we are not Montana residents, our case got transferred down to Wyoming. And so, like, I was in order to have uh, supervised visits with my daughter, I had to. I was on this call call list, so you call into. Uh, Department of Family Services every every day, and uh, if my 
group was called, I'd have to come in and take a UA. And then I'd have to UA every time before I visited my daughter. Well, that's a a urine test. Yeah. Urine, urine analysis. Right. And so I, uh, I was supposed to take like 32 UAs throughout that time before I went back to treatment. (coughs) And I, um, took four and I failed two of them. And so I didn't even really hardly ever get to see my daughter when she was in the state's custody. And how old was she at the time? The baby? Uh, basically from the time she got out of the hospital, she was two months old until, uh, six months. Wow. And then, so, I'm her sorry, mother, that makes me really sad, Austin. I'm sorry. It does. And it's it's that that's how delusional I was. I cared more about the substances than my own child. And so after the mother of my child, which I uh will end up marrying later on, so my wife, uh got to go down to a treatment center in Rock Springs, Wyoming. And she was able to have my child in there with her. And so, at, yeah, around five or six months, my daughter came down with her. And so, like, after after my daughter got taken in the state's custody, I just, that's when my addiction peaked. I just went downhill so fast. Right. You know, and this, that's another crazy thing, too. Like, I was living in a trailer with no no electricity, no running water. Uh, no gas and like I thought I was going to be able to support a child you know that's that's how neurotic and crazy I you know the addiction made me and so anyway once she got taken I just quit caring about everything and just started using whatever I could find I was an equal opportunity drug addict you know I had my drugs of choice of course but I uh basically didn't turn drugs away either if they were in front of me. Right. And so I, uh, yeah, I used whatever I could find and it, I, uh, ended up losing my job and just went downhill real quick. Understood. So for you, Austin, cause this is kind of the whole point of the podcast. What was your point of no return? Just a reminder that you are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For further information on the podcast, you can go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or you can find us on our Facebook page by the same name, or you can call us at 727-314-7080, or you can email us to the addiction podcast at yahoo.com. For further information on Narcan on Suncoast, call 1-877-339-3324. That's 1-877-339-3324. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step 
to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast and get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com, that's N-E-W-M-A-N-I-N-T-E-R-V-E-N-T-I-O-N-S.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. Like your wake-up call to where you said, I have to get clean, and you did. Well. I mean, it, so, wasn't, it wasn't the birth of your baby, and it wasn't the baby being taken away. So at what point did you reach the, the limit, if you will? Well, so after so long of not being in my child's life and just going down this rough, this really rough path, you know, the, the whole lifestyle that comes with the addiction and all the using and just everything my mental health had deteriorated. And so I knew that I was either going to die from the drugs or that I was going to take my own life. And then my, uh, DFS, my, uh, DFS caseworker finally gave me the nudge and put a court order on it that I go to treatment or I was going to be charged with contempt of court. And I knew that was like my, my saving grace because I, uh, I wanted to be in my, my child's life in my family's life and I wanted to get better. And I think I just needed that little extra nudge from the, you know, from the judicial system. Cause it would have been either go to treatment or go to jail. Right. Basically. Or I, I didn't have any like charges really, you know, oh, it, would I have, see. it I would see. have been lose all, all parental rights and all contact with my child. I see. Or, I mean, yeah, there could have been jail time because after um, me not going to treatment for so long and just not doing my UAs and stuff, she was going to charge me with a, a contempt of court. Well, I think, and I think with contempt of court, you can get some jail time. I don't know how much jail time, but I think you can get some. Yeah, see, and I don't, I don't know a whole lot. See, that was one thing that I got pretty lucky for the most part. I stayed out of jail you know I think I've done like a total of like 14 days in jail I got super lucky somehow especially because in Wyoming there's like where I grew up there's like for every four people there was one cop and then so since there's so so much law enforcement that everybody gets in trouble and then they turn to confidential informants and Everybody gets held, you know, so many people get held accountable for their actions. Right. And somehow I was lucky enough to not be one of the people. Okay. So you did the treatment that was mandated by the court. I did. And I mean, that was the beginning of my recovery. Not saying my recovery was perfect. I have relapsed on alcohol and marijuana a few times, but that's because I wasn't putting the work into my recovery that I needed to. Oh. You know? They say uh, if you put as much work into your recovery as you did into getting drugs, you'll be successful. And uh, I wasn't doing, I wasn't doing that. And now today I definitely put 
more work into my recovery than just about anything else. And it's working for me. That's awesome. So how long have you been clean and sober, Austin? Um, what's the day? I've been clean for almost 21 months now. Wow. That's an accomplishment. That's very well done. It is. It's, uh, I was never able to make it past like six, seven months. Wow. You know, without relapsing or something. I mean, yeah, it's been, um, April 19th, 2016 was the last time I stuck a needle in my arm or, you know, used the, I guess, more, more extreme drugs, I'll say. Right. But, um, alcohol and marijuana are still drugs and I definitely, and I'm not a person that can just have like one or two drinks, you know, I drink to get messed up and ruin my life. Understood. (laughs) Yeah. But so you and the, and the mother of your baby, you're married now. We are. We, um, she has been clean since she got arrested, um, June 4th, 2015. Okay. And uh, she actually works at the treatment center now that she went to. She's a peer specialist. And she, yeah, she's killing it. She just got her associate's degree in criminal justice this year. And she's working towards her bachelor's now. And That's awesome. I mean, that's awesome because, you know, she's giving back. And you, with doing the podcast today, are also giving back. So there you go. All right. Tell tell me, you mentioned when we spoke before that you and your wife – didn't really have any kind of a support group where you live now. So you kind of started your own. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, there was one fellowship here, you know, a 12 step fellowship, but it's, that's not a fellowship for me. Um, and so we started the other 12 step fellowship because, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm an addict. I'm addicted to everything. And so, we started that meeting and it was a little rough at first, the first few months, you know, a lot of times it was just me, me and her opening the doors and sitting there and talking for an hour, waiting, you know, to see if anybody shows up. And now some nights we have like 40, 40 plus people, you know, and that's awesome. And so, I mean, there used to be a good meeting here back in the day, but after I was told after a member passed away, that was kind of like the rock, you know, kind of held it together it went downhill and then that fellowship kind of got a black eye here. Cause like the only thing that people was going there for was to get drugs or to just, they would just sign each other's court documents and then leave. You know, it wasn't really, it wasn't, wasn't recovery. Yeah. That's not really what I would term. I mean, I guess you could say by definition, it was fellowship, but the wrong kind of fellowship, not fellowship right. in sobriety fellowship and let's all use drugs and keep each other going. Right. Right. And wow. so we've, uh, we've done, we've done that. We, uh, just had our second anniversary as a group and we did a, uh, big camp out at a, at a nice lake up North. You wow. Know, we, uh, we try to keep recovery exciting. Uh, I'm actually the activities chair. So like I try to plan quite a bit. Um, we're doing a Halloween dance you know costume yep Ooh, i love it (laughs) yeah just try it you know because that's i know that was a lot of a big thing for me was i didn't think i was going to be able to have fun in recovery and i didn't think 
I'd be able to enjoy life without the use of drugs, you know? Right. And now that I've been clean for a little bit and I realize that life is beautiful, clean and that, you know, I, I can actually enjoy life because I can remember everything. I don't have to be, I don't have to get loaded and then think about, you know, wake up the next day and be like, Oh no, what did I do? What am I going to regret? Or, you know what I mean? Like, yep. That type of thing. And so it's just, it's, it's amazing having the support you do through a fellowship, but then having that fellowship back all these fun activities. Right. Right. Austin, if you could say one thing to our listeners, what would it be? And the reason why I ask that, when I gave an introduction for you, um, and I don't, I hope this comes across the way I mean it, you know, you're not a professional actor, you're not a professional football player, you are a regular guy. And I firmly believe that the majority of the people who listen are like you and me, regular people. And that's why I think your story is so important and will resonate with so many people. So if you could say one message to the people who listen, I think we have addicts, I know we have addicts who listen, I know we have recovered addicts, and I know we have the loved ones of addicts. What would that message be? Well, okay, so like for the addicts, you know, like I went from literally having nothing, you know, I had this trailer, that I rented, you know, but that had no running water, no gas, no electricity. It was, it was more of a shack, you know, and now I just, this year, uh, I just bought a house. I have a, I have a really good career. And so all I would say is that recovery works. If you put the effort in, don't give up even when, you know, even when things get tough, like my wife, she's lost 16 people over the last two years to the overdose and other substance abuse related accidents. And she's still going strong. That's like all the more reason for her to stay clean and have that solid foundation. So all I'd say is don't give up, get into a program. If, uh, if a 12 step fellowship doesn't work for you, find something that does just don't give up you know um it's it's work every day it's not easy sometimes but if life was easy you know that would be great we'd all love it (laughs) yeah i don't know it wouldn't be as interesting though yeah um and so like for for uh, the family members of addicts you know i just say don't enable them my mom was my biggest enabler and that caused a lot of problems for me and, and for our relationship as well, because I would just manipulate her and use her and didn't care, you know? And so don't enable them and set boundaries. Boundaries are huge. I know it's hard whenever you uh, uh, love, love an addict that's, that's still using and you're just watching them kill themselves. I, I am going through some of that right now with some, some friends and stuff like that, you know, and I just have to uh, set my boundaries and let them know that if they need help and support, I'm here for them when they want that, but they have to want it. Right. You know, it's like, 
I had to want it, you know. I lost everything, lost my daughter, and I continued to use, you know. It's, you have to want it. Yep, yep. I think that's a really, really good point. Really, really good message. Austin, you have a life now. You have a wife. You have a daughter. Do you have more children or just your daughter? Just my daughter. Okay, and how old is she now? She is four. Awesome, awesome. So there you go. I mean, you've put it all back together, and I really admire you for doing that because I know that it isn't easy. I know it. No, it wasn't easy at all. But so the gifts of recovery that I've gotten, you know, I've gotten my family back, my daughter, and she's healthy, she's super smart, you know, and to be able to uh, watch watch her grow and just teach her things and, you know, just be a father, you know, and be a productive member of society. That's something that I didn't think was going to be possible ever in my life, you know, and I have all that and it's, it's all due to my recovery. If, you know, I was always told anything that you put before your recovery, you'll lose. And I am a firm believer of that because even after I got clean, after I got out of treatment and moved down here to rock Springs, I, uh, I got another good job, but I was gone all the time. I worked in New Mexico and Colorado and stuff. And so I put work before my recovery and that's whenever I ended up relapsing and relapsing. And, you know, uh, it was also hard for me. I used that as an excuse because I wasn't there to watch my daughter grow up. You know, I was, I was working all the time. And so I just think that anything you, you put before your recovery, you'll lose. So you have to keep that. And just right in, right in front of everything and, and work towards it. Right, right. Austin, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I just think your story is, is such a good story. As I say often on the podcast, you know, there's a lot of similarities from addict to addict, but then every story is different. And I think that your story is going to resonate with a lot of our listeners. And I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Yeah, and there's just one more thing I wanted to say because we it. did <clears throat> we did talk a little bit about the ru- you know the rural piece about so like before we started the group here you know you would have to drive a hundred miles in whatever direction to find like the nearest uh, that fellowship you know right that that particular fellowship and so if there's anybody out there seeking recovery it's you can start a 12 step fellowship. It's super easy and just don't give up on it. You know, that's, that's the biggest thing is because we, you know, whenever we first opened the doors and it was just me and my wife going there, you know, it gets a little frustrating and Mm -hmm. you feel like you just want to give up and we, we did it. And now our group is flourishing and, so many people come in, coming in and getting recovery and that's what it's all about. You know, I, I can't do this alone, you know, and I know that. And so I don't want anybody else to try to do this alone. Right. I think, I think that's huge. I'm so glad you added that on because, you know, as you say, if you're, if you're somewhere and there's nobody around, there's no group or existing group to help support you in your recovery, start your own because you're not alone. There are a lot of people out there recovering. 
and you will then not only get help for yourself, but you'll provide help for other people. And that's huge. Yep. That's really huge. And that in itself will help you with your recovery. Yeah, exactly. See, uh, my, my experience, you know, if my experience helps one addict, then I'm successful. You know, I know the experience of other addicts have saved my life. And so that's, that's why I, I, I try to share my experience, strength, and hope. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Austin. And please give my best wishes to your wife and to your daughter. Okay, I will. So I really hope that you enjoyed Austin's interview as much as I did. He's such a nice fellow. And here's someone who, you know, doesn't have a lot of the resources um, as a professional athlete or a professional actor, even though they still can end up homeless under a bridge. But he um, got himself clean and now he's married and he has a good job and he has a family. And I think it's huge. So once again, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star rating. That would be awesome. And yeah, we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 